Am I right here, James, with, um, with two cameras here? We've got two cameras going tonight, and uh, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? So how are you going tonight? Are you having a good night so far? Awesome stuff. So let's sit back and relax and, um, and enjoy the night. This, this week um, in the, the calendar um, for us in Australia is Are You OK Week? So it's the week where we um, ask all of the uh, students in schools and people, are you okay? Is everything going okay in your world? And, um, you know, one thing I want to be as a church is I want to be authentic. I want to be real. I want to be upfront and I want to be honest and I want to um, be there to help people. You know, how often have you walked through the doors of a church and someone said, how are you going today? Great, I'm going awesome. This is amazing. I'm fine. And then gone home and bawled your eyes out for some reason um, because you haven't really, you're not really okay. You just feel like you can't be yourself. And, you know, sometimes as pastors, um, we're not allowed to be not okay. We're not allowed to be not okay. We're sort of, um, we're the ones up the front doing it all the time. And if we have a bad day or a bad moment or a bad week, um, we feel like the worst person in the world. And, um, but I'm here to say that it's okay not to be okay. But we can do something about that, which is exciting. You know, uh, a, a few weeks ago, um, I bought a new pair of black shoes and uh, a new pair of sand shoes, and they were nearly identical to the pair that I'd worn out. And so I was, um, I was, I got dressed for work on Tuesday, uh, and I, I came into work, and Cassie and I had done everything we had to do in the office, sitting there doing all that, and, and I'd come down, and I'd gone to a meeting, and then I thought, at the end of the day, it was about 4.30, uh, I thought, I'm just gonna rip in after, um, after work and pick up some food, for dinner. And so I'm walking through the supermarket and I'm thinking, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like I'm like feeling like I'm pulling to the right of the whole time. And I'm thinking, am I having a stroke? Am I having a seizure? Is there something wrong with me? And the more I walked, the more I pulled to the right and started to limp on my hip and I'm thinking, oh gosh, get out of this shop as soon as you can. You know, like get, I was thinking I better go and ring Amanda and say, come and ring the ambulance and get me somewhere. I think I'm having a stroke or something, you know. Anyway, I, on the way out, I hadn't had lunch and I was thinking to myself, maybe I'm just hungry. Maybe I'm going into like some um, glycomic coma or something. Um, I'm going to have to go and have something to eat. So I pulled up at the bakery to get something sweet to eat. And as I reached out for my wallet, I looked down and realised I had two different shoes on. And um, I had two different black shoes on and they weren't the same height. And they were causing me to not see everything completely correct. And you know, tonight, um, I think there's some of us sitting in this room, me included, um, have spent our whole life wearing two different shoes. Um, everything we do has a slant on it because of what um, has been in our past or um, what has happened in our lives. And you know, that's not okay. Um, I went home, you wouldn't believe it, I went home and I separated those two shoes and put those ones over here and those ones over here and the next day I put two pair of shoes on and did the same thing again. I don't know why I'm admitting to that, but I didn't get out of the house this time. I did not get out of the house with them on this time. So turn to the person beside you and say, are you okay? Are you okay? Now the truth is half of you sitting there went, yes, but you're not. So that's okay. I believe that um, 
that's so important to building a healthy, happy and harmonious church. And I hope, and I hope it will point us in the right direction as individuals to make our futures as incredible as they can be. You know, if I had to spend my whole life walking around with two white shoes on, um, it would be a pretty comfortable, uncomfortable existence. Now, I just want to make it clear before I start tonight, the title of my message is, Does Your Past Affect Your Future? And I'm not professing to have all of the answers, I'm just starting a conversation. Having got all the answers tonight, I'm starting a conversation because we are a church that loves each other, that cares about each other and wants to be there for each other. So does your past affect your future? I remember when Danielle, our eldest daughter, first moved to Brisbane, uh, we took her down, we dropped her at the place where she was going to be living. And as I drove away through, um, through tears, over the next week or so, all I could imagine for her was that she was lonely, she was sad, she was missing home, she was fearful, she was upset, she was homesick and generally miserable. That's whenever I thought about Danielle being in Brisbane, I just burst into tears at how horrible it must be for my little girl to be down there feeling like that. I said to Amanda, I feel terrible that Danielle must be living in Brisbane feeling like that. I said, what do you think she feels? Amanda said, I think she's having the time of her life, enjoying her freedom, exploring new places, meeting new people, and she's genuinely excited. I said, how can you say that? How can you honestly believe that our little girl would be feeling any of those things? And I'm sure Danielle had a mixture of all of those emotions along the way at some stage. But Amanda had gone to university in Brisbane. She had been out and about enjoying this new, new season. And they were for her some of the best days of her life. For me, a little bit different. I'd been dropped off at boarding school at age 12. I watched my parents drive away. I went straight from there into the dining room and had cold salad and ham for tea. I hate salad, I hate ham <laughs> together on Sunday nights. I wouldn't eat them for years. The first night, all I heard was sobbing boys and sniffling children missing home. I was lonely, sad, frightened, homesick and generally miserable. And I realised after we had unpacked how I was feeling that my past had definitely affected the way I was thinking about the future. Isn't that strange? Isn't it funny that the things that happened to us in our past, even if we don't know it, can come back to affect us in the future um, at a most inopportune time? And we don't want that tonight for anyone. The Bible says in Proverbs 23 verse 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. As he thinks in his heart, so he is. So what about you tonight? This message is about me, but it's also about you tonight because we, we can do something to help you on your journey to start seeing that you have a bright future ahead of you um, if, you've, if you're feeling affected at the present moment. Is your past affecting your future? I can guarantee that we all have a past. Is there anyone in this room here who hasn't got a past? Okay, now we're all on the same page. We're right. Our, our past could have been good, could have been bad, it could have been indifferent. But we have a past, it doesn't matter. And I think it's fair to say that our past affects, affects how we process the things around us and what happens in our futures. 
In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. That's a verse that I quote all of the time. I think most people who have been on their journey of faith for any length of time would know Jeremiah 20, 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. So what do you do with words like this in that verse? What do you do with the word prosper? What do you do with the word no harm? What do you do with the word hope? What do you do with the word future? Do you receive them or do you reject them? I can't believe that God would prosper me. I don't believe that God is a God that wouldn't cause harm to me. I've got no hope, there's no future for me. Is that how you see that? Do you dismiss those verses? Do you dismiss that verse as going, that verse is for everybody else, but it's not for me. That verse is for other people. I know that God has a future and a hope for some people, but it's just not me. And I remember just recently, even for myself, um, you know, I've, I've got big dreams and big plans for, for that God has laid on my heart for the future and I'm excited about that, but sometimes things get wearing. And I remember reading a devotional about God has a future for you. God has a plan for your life. God's gonna come through for you. Just pray one more time and it'll happen. It'll be awesome. And pray this prayer. And you know, I closed the devotional because I couldn't pray it. Because right then I didn't feel it. And I had to go back later on and pray that prayer because whether I felt it or whether I didn't feel it didn't, didn't uh, make any difference. It was what was true and what wasn't true. And it was how we see those things that make all the difference. Sometimes we can't even see the way we are. You might be sitting here thinking, I haven't got a problem in the world. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. I don't really have any problems that would affect anyone, my wife or my husband or my children. I'm, I'm okay. And, and that's okay. But sometimes we can't see who we are. And I remember, um, I'm going back about 18, 20 years ago now, I was sitting on the outdoor table in our, at our home overlooking the pool and I sat there and I just slumped my head down to the table and I said to God, I can't do this anymore. I am so depressed. I just can't do it anymore. I'm done. And uh, I thought, what am I going to do? I was just at the lowest point of my life. And uh, I thought, oh, all I can do is ring a doctor, get, a, get a, an appointment, get some medication, and get better. So I rang the doctor, I got some medication, some antidepressant medication, and I started to feel great. And about six months on from there, I said to Amanda, I want to try, I'm feeling so good, I'm feeling so great, um, that I want to try going off this medication now that I feel so good. I think in six months' time, it's done its job and I'm going to be fine. And she said, well, I will let you go off the medication if you promise me one thing, that if you start to go downhill and I tell you you're going downhill, then you go back on the medication. Deal. You got a deal. So I went off it. The doctor said, go off slowly. Not me. I can do it straight away. <laughs> Put them in the bin. I'm right. And you know what? I was fine. I was awesome. I was amazing. I was the best husband. I was the best father. And after about three or four weeks, Amanda said to me, you're a train wreck. You're a train wreck, boy. You need to go back on your tablets. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm doing great. 
You promised me that you would go back on those tablets if I told you you had to. You're deluded. You need the tablets. You get the tablets out of the bin. You go back on them yourself, woman. Think you need the tablets. So then my wife did the unthinkable. She called in the big guns. She rang my mate, Ian Clum. And she said, Ian, my husband's a train wreck. Come over here and whatever it takes, get him back on the tablets. And when Ian turned up, I realised then and only then that I'd obviously could not see things the way they really were. And I fished the tablets out of the bin and I went back on them again. Six months later on, I said to Amanda, we're at the beach on holidays and I ran out of tablets. And I said to Amanda, I'm going to go to the chemist. I've got to go to the chemist and get more tablets. She said, why don't we go to the beach and pray and just ask God before you do. And let's just see if you can go off them. And so we went to the beach and we prayed for God to take that away from me. And that was the last day that I'd had a depressed day in my whole entire life. Now, I'm not saying that's everybody's journey. That was 20 years ago for me. And I haven't taken a medication for depression since. Not saying that's everybody's journey. That's my journey. But what I want to say is that we serve a supernatural God who can do the miraculous in our life. He can do the amazing things in our life if we want to. But what I want to say is tonight, maybe you are a train wreck as well. But you just can't see it. Maybe you're not seeing the way you really are and maybe you're hurting the people all around you or doing things you know for me um i just needed someone to come and give me a good whack on the back of the head and tell me you need to do something to see things for the way they were in john 5 um it says sometime later jesus went to jerusalem for one of the jewish festivals now there is, a, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gates a pool um, which, is, which is surrounded by all this stuff. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralysed. One of them who was there had been there an invalid for 38 years. When, he saw, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been waiting in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, when I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man's, man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked for the first time in 38 years. If we go into Luke 5, on the day of the... On, on one of the days while Jesus was teaching, some proud religious law keepers and teachers of the law were sitting by him. They had come from every town in the country of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was there to heal them. Some men took a man who was not able to move his body to Jesus. He was, he, he was carried on a bed. They looked for a way to take, him, take the man into the house where Jesus was, but they could not find a way to take him in because there were so many people there. They made a hole in the roof and went over, over where Jesus stood. Then they let the bed... I wanted to be there that day, honestly. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be in that room when, when Jesus is preaching away and next minute there's like, I don't know what's fallen down from there. There's 
dust starts coming down and his hay starts falling down and he's looking up in there and trying to preach and wondering what's going on and think, trying to preach up the best storm and next one, there's just this person just laying there in front of him. Like, oh, that would have been, oh, maybe I'm just stupid. People, they made a hole in the roof over where Jesus stood. Then they let the bed down with the sick man on it because Jesus, before Jesus, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the law and the proud religious law keepers thought to themselves, who is the man who speaks as if he is God? Who can forgive sins but God only? Jesus knew what they were thinking and, and said to them, why do you think this way in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? That's a big statement, isn't it? So that you may know the Son of Man has the uh, right and the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who could not move his body, I say to you, get up, take up your bed and go to your home. At once the sick man got up in front of them, took up his bed and went to his home thanking God. And all those who were around were surprised and said, we have seen something very special today. I've always wondered in that story, why did, they, why did Jesus make them take up the mat? 38 years of laying on this stinky, filthy, disgusting thing and Jesus says, take up your mat and walk and take up your bed and go. Why did he do that? I believe that if he didn't do that, it would be too easy for us to go back to it when things went wrong or things got tough. It's too easy to go back to the way things are or the way things were when things get tough. You know, I, um, I need a new pair of glasses. I'm feeling sick, so I'm going to go back to the mat and lie down for a bit. I'm feeling sad. I'll just go back to the mat and lie down for a bit. Someone hurt me. Ouch. I'm going to go back and lay on the mat for a while. It's all too much. Much. I think I'll just go back to the mat for a bit. It's too hard. I'm just going to go back to the mat. But if there's no mat there, you can't go back. If there's no mat there, you can't go back. What would have you done with the mat? What have you? Absolutely. I would have taken it home, poured petrol all over it and lit it up and had a bonfire around it. But how many of us take that mat home and put it in the cupboard just in case? How many of us take it home and put it in the cupboard just in case? Now, I want to tell you that Amanda and I grew up in two different families. Um, who, who is married to someone whose family is polar opposite to their family? Yes, absolutely. Amanda's family, the first, the first time that I met Amanda's mother, we were on our way to church and something unfolded. Oh my gosh, I have no idea what it was, but it was like I'm sitting in the back seat and it's like World War Three in the front seat and it's like, wow, crazy stuff going on. And I'm sitting there back thinking, oh, am I really going to marry them? into this, I don't know, you know. Anyway, we got to church and they're going, Way! like this, carrying on, right up until we got to the door of the church. And it's, hey, pastor, this is my future son-in-law, Graham. Thought, what was that? How can that happen? My family, totally different. We deal with nothing. We push everything under the carpet. We shove it under the carpet. We push it under until there's a pile and then we squash it down and then push it under some more and squash it down again. And then one day, she explodes. So you can imagine Amanda and I when we're having a fight. I want to push it under the carpet. She wants to deal with it. 
But the worst part about having a fight with Amanda for me is that she can change in like that because that's what she'd learned in her past. So we're having a fight and she can be over it like that and moving on and happy again. And I'm going, oh, hang on a sec. I haven't had a chance to brood. I haven't had a chance to sulk. I haven't had a chance to deal with this. I haven't had a chance to move on. It's done. It's dead to me. Oh, do you know how frustrating that is sometimes? And we've had to work that out in our marriage. And you know what? Sometimes after those fights, I'm not okay. And she's not okay. Who's been in a situation like that? Come on. When I'm not, I hope I'm not the only one. You know, I think we have to get rid of the mat so it's no longer part of our, part, our past or part of our future. It has no hold over us. It doesn't have any hold over us anymore. There's no way that we can go back to it again. So often when things get tough or sometimes get triggered, we go straight back to the past, to the, thing, the way things were and now, and not how they are right now. Now, you still happy for me to share, Gordon? Cool. I want to tell you another story, okay? And uh, this, is, um, this is to let you know that sometimes we're not okay. Now, I don't know whether you notice the beautiful gardens at the front of our church, but they are amazing and uh, planted and look wonderful. And, you know, I'm, um, I am the world's biggest encourager. Um, I encourage people all the time. And so halfway through the process of doing all the gardens, I'm inside getting some water for people and drinks for the kids and having drinks and trying to sort all that out and blah, blah, blah. You know, my mind's in a thousand places. And probably at 57, I might even be a little bit deaf. I won't admit that, though. Um, but, you know, who knows? Somewhere in the midst of this time when I was handing out the water and pushing wheelbarrows, Gordon said, Graham, 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 ignore, 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 ignore. Well, it wasn't ignore, I just didn't hear him. Now, to most people, or some people, they just brush that off. They just go, Oh, well, he was busy, didn't hear me, whatever, that's cool, we'll move on. But Gordon, Gordon really struggled with that because he thought, why is he ignoring me? Why is he doing this to me? And, you know, it just went from bad to worse, didn't it, Gordon? It went from zero to 100. It went to the place where it never, ever should have went um, with Gordon in his mind. Like, why did he ignore me? What have I done to upset him? Is he upset with me? Why? Okay, well, he can get stuffed. Um, and, um, and, you know, and that's it. I'm out of here. I'm done. Okay, I'm never going to that church anymore. I'm off the board. They can all go jump in the lake. So we went from zero to 100 in about 30 seconds. Now, Gordon and Isabel and Simon and I have coffee every Tuesday. Thankfully, on Monday night, I'd send a message to Gordon. But, you know, the devil's really good at trying to get us not to deal with our issues. Because last week was Father's Day, and I was busy with James trying to work out PowerPoints and all those sort of things, so I never really got a chance to go to the door to talk to Gordon and Isabel like I normally would. Jess, for the first time ever in history, said, could you please have my three children sit with you over here? Which meant that I put them in Gordon and Isabel's seats which meant Gordon Isabel had to sit somewhere else. And so then Gordon's going, what's going on now? 
So then I see Gordon and Isabel sitting down the back, so I just wave them, come and sit up the front. Chris and Glennis are away. So instead of going, oh, wow, there mustn't be a problem, Gordon goes straight to, why is he trying to humiliate me? <laughs> now, I tell this for a reason. I tell this for a reason that then on Monday night, I send Gordon a message, coming for coffee. Simon and I are sitting there, no Gordon. Gordon didn't turn up. We see him across the road. I get up to go and buy him coffee. And so Gordon thinks, oh, it mustn't be too bad. I better go over and see what's going on. Came over. Hey, Gordon, you're here. Did I offend you on Saturday? I didn't even know what he was talking about. I had no idea what he was talking about. And we got talking about stuff. You know what? Gordon's father left when he was two years old. Abandoned. Graham didn't answer him five times. Abandoned. I was abandoned by my father. I was abandoned by my pastor. And you know what? They can all get stuffed. And that stuff can actually destroy us along the way. Now, we know that. You know, um, we can work on that. And we had a good chance to have a talk about all that and what, what we can do to help Gordon deal with all those things. What, what an amazing journey. But how many of us have got stories like that? How many of us have got stories like that where we're carrying stuff that we carry into church life, we carry into our family, we carry into things going on all around us, and we don't even know, um, we don't even know that. We've had people come to church and they just explode at me. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got to do with what's going on in their world and, I've, and, and it's just triggered something. It's just triggered something. Thank you, Gordon, for letting me share that. So how do we move forward? How do we move forward in this problem? Because I'm not just talking to you tonight, I'm talking to me as well, because I want to be a better person. I don't want to let my past dictate my future. I don't want to always um, feel like um, when my family have gone away, like I've had to really, because I felt totally uh, sad and alone when I went to boarding school when I first went there. They're the feelings that I have. Now I have a, um, my sister said to me when, because funny that, you know, you, you have those feelings of sad and alone when your kids go away and then they move further away. Like I've got a daughter and a son-in-law in Tasmania and a daughter in Melbourne. And it's very easy when you go to visit them to let your mind go, oh, they must be lonely, they must be sad, they must be this. I've had to train myself to take my thoughts captive. I've had to train myself to go, my kids are having the best time of their life. I refuse to let my mind go anywhere else. I refuse to let my mind dwell on the fact that my kids are sad and miserable and upset and all those things. If they are, they'll tell me and we'll deal with it then but I'm not projecting my past onto their future. Yeah. I can't do it. I'll just kill myself. Yeah, I'll just kill myself. You know, you, you, you might have had stuff happen in your past that caused you to have fear and fear cripples you from doing stuff. You may feel like you've been abandoned um, and you know, it doesn't take much to feel like you've been abandoned by everybody. Or you might have been hurt. You're not gonna let anybody in. There's not a person that's going to get close to me because I'm not going to ever get hurt again. You know, I, I think as a church, if we can't help people recognise those things and, and work through those things, we're not really doing our job. Now, I'm not here to say that I've got all the answers. Maybe you might need professional help. Maybe you need to go and see someone. 
Maybe you need to go and seek some professional help. I've been there. I've been there. A mate of mine was abused at boarding school when I was there at, at 13. He was, was attacked by a teacher. And 20 years later, we, uh, we put him in jail. But after that, I had to go and get counselling. Two sessions changed my life. Two sessions made me realise that it wasn't my fault. Two sessions made me realise that I'm okay. Two sessions made me deal with lots of things that I hadn't dealt with, you know, in that situation. And I want to tell you tonight that there's no shame in getting the help that you need to become the better person that you need to be. Maybe you don't even realise that you're that way. Maybe it's time to leave the past in the past and pick up your mat and move forward. Don't let your past affect your future anymore. Today is the best day to do something about it. I've had to shut the door on lots of things that have tried to creep in over the years. I've had to shut the door on lots of things. You know, I remember um, for me, and I'm just being honest about my journey, I was 20 something, um, what's my mum, 91, uh, 35 years ago my dad died. And, um, you know, and I remember after um, getting a phone call in the middle of the night that my father had passed away unexpectedly, my first thought was, oh, woe is me, I'm the only one that's not married in the family. I come from a family with older siblings, I'm the youngest, late in life baby. Oh, dad will never be there to see me get married, never meet my kids, never meet my, you know, his grandchildren, that'll be my children. And, and I started to um, think I was the, you know, the most hard done by person in the world. And, um, and you know, it was interesting that morning um, that we found out, it found out three o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, this lady turns up and, you know, she pulled up and, and her name was Beth. And she said, oh, Graham, I'm so sorry that your father's passed away. She said, I know exactly what you're feeling. My father died and I, and, and I was the last one in my family left that wasn't married and he wasn't at my wedding and he's never met my kids and you must be feeling terrible. But God's got this and you're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. And, you know, I realised right there and then I wasn't the only one that's been through tough stuff. I wasn't the only one that's been through, had a rough deal in some things. And there's people who are worse off than me everywhere everywhere but we can't live there we can't live there or it will kill us or cripple us pretty badly what i do know is that the god i serve is a supernatural miracle working god and like the day i stood on the beach and asked god to take my depression away and he did that's not that's not an intervention of tablets or a doctor. That is a supernatural miracle of a miracle working God in my life that did something that was out of my control. And so what I want to say tonight uh, is that, you know, we may not have all the answers as the church. We may not be able to, uh, you know, you may need to go and have counselling. You may need all of those things. And that's absolutely cool. But what we as a church can offer tonight is prayer to a supernatural God who can intervene in your situation and help you on your journey of faith get to where God wants you to be. That's what we can do tonight and believe that. 
You know, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to the mind of Christ. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do tonight, to take every captive thought, every captive, and not let it determine what our future looks like. You know, the guy who, um, who was blind at the pool in 38 years, and they argued over, um, over, you know, the Pharisees, his parents, they were all there. Oh, what happened to him? What happened? Blah, 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 you know, whatever. And they're asking all these questions back and forth to everybody. Whisper, whisper, all the rubbish going on under the sun. Anyway, I think the boy pipes up and goes, can I say something? Can I finally say something? Yeah, sure, what do you want to say? And what he says in verse 25, whether this man is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. One thing I do know was I don't care about the rest. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And tonight, our miracle-working, supernatural God can start you on a journey of saying, I was blind to the things in my life, but now I see. I was blind to those things, but now I see. And start to move forward into the preferred destiny that God has for you. One supernatural encounter with Jesus can change everything. One supernatural encounter with Jesus can change everything. I don't know whether you believe that tonight, but it's the truth. It is the absolute truth. I have seen, I have witnessed, and I have been part of supernatural miracles and seen God do things that you could not even believe that he would do. And the doctors couldn't explain why. That's a supernatural miracle working power of God working, not just for healing, but restoring minds, for helping you forget the past and bring you into a new future, to stop you dwelling on the things that cause you um, pain and move forward. Because what I want to, when I want to say in Are You Okay Week is, are you okay? And the answer is, yeah, I am really okay. I am really okay. I have got a good handle on what's going on in my world. There's ups and downs but I'm not going to let it affect my future. There's a story, as I close, Jess, from a lady called Corrie Tamboon. One night after preaching about forgiveness, Corrie Tamboon recognised that the man approaching her was a former guard from the Ravensbrook Nazi prison camp where she was tortured and her sister Betsy starved to death. Can't even imagine what that would be like. When he asked her to forgive him, Corrie thought about it, thought about Betsy and felt that she couldn't do it. Nevertheless, she knew she must, up, must, otherwise everything she preached over the years would be meaningless. She said to God, I can't extend my, I can extend my hand, I can, I can do that much, but you'll have to supply the feelings. Taking the man's hand, she felt God's power rushing through her, enabling her to wholeheartedly say, I forgive you, brother. Corrie never experienced God's love so intensely as she did that night. Although she'd been badly tortured, she let God heal her and then went on to help others. The truth is, forgiveness is the only way to peace.